he iti wai ko waka e tahuri te waka. It may only be a small storm, yet a successful outcome is imminent. Enga iwi, enga hapu, enga kai fakarongo, no mai kite hotaka nei ate ahika. I'm Justine Murray and I'm Maria Rakaraku. Greetings and welcome to our weekly series Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. This week it's kind of like an episode of Te Ahika's funniest home videos. You obviously won't see any of the bloopers, but you'll hear the laughter as I hang with a group workshopping Hakina Kina Mavi. Takaro Tafito o Māori Sports in Napier. Which includes Ki Orahi, a game that has been around for yonks way before the arrival of Pākehā to Aotearoa and is enjoying a revitalisation thanks largely to the efforts of Harko Brown who wrote a book, Nā Taonga Kōrero, Māori Sports and Games that was published last year. And Dr Ihirangi Heke, who alongside Brown, is driving the resurgence of Māori sports that incorporate tikanga Māori and contribute to Māori development. Whereas for Hākinakina, the reasons that underpin Māori or non-Māori in, in contemporary terms being involved with it is that tinana is only a part of the reason why. And uh, there's other areas of interest to us to being involved with that activity. There may not be any red velvet seats or $10 popcorn and Coke specials or even a candy bar. But the Hokianga Film Festival going on at the moment in Firinaki isn't about all those trimmings, it's about the kaupapa. Promoting the craft of filmmaking within the community and recognising the achievements of local filmmakers. We're really privileged. We're going to have people like Mary Mary Penfold coming up. She's just had a... Oh, beautiful. Yes, she's just had a documentary finished on her by Shirley Horrocks. And uh, Shirley and her husband, Roger, are going to bring her up from Auckland. She'll be with us throughout the weekend. Libby Hakaraya is also coming up. She's just finished a documentary on um, the people over at Titi. So everything is very much either hokianga or northern orientated and celebrating these wonderful people who are inspiration to us. Justine is with Nijin Mystic's Awanui Reader and talks about what the guys have been up to this year. That's part of our coverage of New Zealand Music Month. Ida, the guys have released their latest single, RSVP, and are stoked that they are still running their own record label. Awanui also gives some handy tips for wannabe musos. All you need is just dedication, um, good support people. You need a lawyer, you need a good lawyer, an accountant. Um, because once you start making money, and if you're on that PACE benefit, that performing arts uh, benefit, um, and you get lots of money, in that revenue is going to be giving you a call. So um, <laughs> make sure you have your business sorted. There's a reason why they call it music business. That's what you can expect on today's show. <laughs> These days we have an overwhelming assortment of entertainment choices, whether it's MP3 players with the latest tunes, the local video store with the latest DVD selection, or an interactive online video game. And, or more often than not, involves us sitting stationary with very little physical movement. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't have those things. It was running around outside, building huts, having dirt fights, playing marbles, in fact, lots and lots of physical activity, which, when I look back on it... I was actually employed by mum to get us tired. <laughs> now, back in the olden days, and we're talking pre-Pākehā contact here, while life for Māori was dictated seasonally by collecting kai and storing it for months when kai was scarce, there was always time for entertainment or sports. A sport that was extremely popular was ki o rahi. Now, this game incorporates what to our modern eyes looks like a mixture of tag, touch rugby and rugby and largely it is but it's much much more than that as it contains within it aspects of tikana Māori, hine naro Māori, whakaro Māori or the Māori way of thinking. That makes it fast paced in some places and exceptionally slow in others and when you see it written down a little confusing Mariah. Yep. It is really confusing when you see the diagrams and trying to figure out how it's played. But when you start playing, it's actually very easy to pick up and really suitable to all ages and physical abilities. And as Mariah discovered when she attended a workshop in Napier a few months back, it all starts off with a story about a man and a woman. There's a story behind this game. 
and it all started off with a man whose name was Rahi, and he had a he had a really beautiful wife. Hey, and his wife was so beautiful that she was way too beautiful for mere mortals. So anyway, um, one day a group of people came and kidnapped um, Rahi's wife. Hey, and um, they took her into the bush. And now this bush was really dense and really thick. So when Rahi went to look for her, he couldn't see anything because this bush was so dense. Hey, it was so dense and so thick. So Rahi thought to himself, you know, how can I... Um, how can I go get up to see where my wife is? So what he thought of, he thought of um, building himself a kite. All right, and he built this kite, and um, he went up into the air with it. Um, he took with him a key. All right, now this key, um, it could either be a basket. All right, it was a basket, and it had a couple of eggs in it so that it, um, it could keep him sustained. As he was going, um, as he was looking for his wife. Well, anyway, as he was flying along, um, he came over the top of a a giant eagle's nest. All right, and as he was going over, one of the eggs fell out and landed in the nest. And um, in the nest there were chicks, um, or giant giant eagle eggs, or babies. And um, they had no food, and so what this egg did, it sustained these chicks and it gave them food so the mother of these chicks remembered that all right she remembered it and um you know he carried on and as he was going above this forest uh, he spotted where they were keeping his wife and um he was up in the air so these people couldn't get at him he was too high so these people had a a tohunga and what he did was he cast a spell and he cast the spell to make that there were two suns that came up into the air. Alright. And what this did is it burnt, it scorched the earth, alright, and also scorched his kite. And so he fell to the ground. Alright, and he was pretty hurt. Because hey, if you fall from that high, you'd be hurt yourselves. Anyway, um, he landed beside a rock. Alright. And as he was dying, he crawled up onto this rock. And on top of this rock, it sort of gave him... Um, um, as as his air gave the eagles, you know, a bit of sustenance, this rock also gave him a bit of sustenance, and so um, he started to he started to get a bit stronger. Now the tohunga from the other group saw this, and he sent out a giant lizard. All right, and as this lizard came out to attack him, um, the wairua of the rock protected him. So this this lizard wasn't able to um, attack or get into where Rahi was lying on top of this rock. And um, as this lizard was running around thrashing, um, you know, gnashing his teeth, he started to form a bit of a trench as he was going around in a circle. And um, um, yeah, he formed a bit of a trench. Now, um, this, this, this lizard was now in a big, great big trench in the ground. Eh? And so what the tohunga did, he sent out another lizard. All right, he sent out another lizard. And they began to do the same thing. And now there were two trenches. So what happened was this tohunga turned these um, lizards into tanifas. Alright. And um, um, these tanifas were going around in the stitch. So the tohunga saw this again. And then he, instead of making it hot, he turned it into ice. He turned it into, you know, he made really cold, cold, cold weather. And so... Um, it started to freeze um, Rahi on top of this rock. But now comes in the eagle, all right, that he, that he helped. This eagle came down, all right, landed on top of the rock and covered Rahi and kept him warm. Hey, and um, so that's what happened. And anyway, um, as the, <laughs> thanks. Now anyway, as the um, Tanifas were going around, there was no way out for Rahi. He was stuck in the middle on that rock. Now Rahi's father was also a great, um, shall we say, tohunga, and he cast a spell that formed a bridge, alright, and after that, Rahi was able to get off the rock, go across the bridge, take his wife, and have success. Now that's what the um, sort of kia Rahi is around. Right. So is that what the field represents, that Yeah, the story? field represents that story. So those yellow poles there? Those yellow poles there are the bridge. And then what are the circles, the inner circle? The inner circle? 
All right, what we're going to do is we're going to get one of our other team members to explain the rules. All right. So we'll invite... Kia ora. We'll Kia ora, invite... Tani. All right. Now, the middle, the rock where Rahi was lying, um, is represented by the barrel over there, and that's called the tupu. All right. And, um, yeah, that's called the tupu. Now... The outer circle, just around the tupu, is called the pāwero. Okay? Now, the cones further out, one circle out, um, the area inside that is called te roto, and now the area on the outside of that, okay, is called te ao. Now, that area is marked by those black... Yeah, that area is marked by... Pau. The black pau, that's right. Now, with the rules, all right, <clears throat> we have two teams. We have the tanifa... All right, and Kyoma. All right. Now, what's going to happen is we're going to split up into two teams. All right, one of you will be the Tanifa, one of you will be the Kyoma. All right. Now, the job of the Tanifa, all right, is to take the ball that we're going to play with, all right, take it and try and hit that tupu. All right. So you have to try and hit it as many times as you can in a five-minute period. Alright, now the kioma, what your job is to do, alright, what your job is, is you have to protect that tupu, alright, you have to protect that tupu from the tanifa, okay, and also, while you're protecting the tanifa, you also have to be in the outer zone, te ao, alright, and what you're trying to do is by touching the po, you're trying to collect points. Okay, you're trying to um, collect up points. Now, the only way you can score those points, all right, is if you bring the ball and bring it into Pawero and put it down. Okay, so it's like scoring a try in rugby. All right. Now, the Tanifa are not allowed to enter Pawero. All right. And Kyoma, you are not allowed to enter Teroto. The only time you're allowed to enter is if you're running for the goal. All right. All right, now to begin the game, all right, Kyoma will start in the middle and one will start in Temarama. All right, now Temarama is at the end of the bridge. All right, now our bridge today is called Teara. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and the only way Kyoma can get into the middle to protect the tupu is if you go through the bridge. Tanifa, you're not allowed on the bridge. All right, Tanifa is not allowed on the bridge. Um... And that's it. Now, today, we're going to be playing touch. All right, not ripper. So all it is is touch. All right, so it's going to make the game a bit faster. All right. All right, and any questions before we continue? Yes. All right, now, if what happens, you can run with the ball as long as you like. But if you get touched, then you've got three seconds to offload. All right. What has to happen, if you come into Teroto and you're from the team Kyoma, you have to go to the line, all right? But you can pass it to them outside, all right? If you're, if you're coming in, before you get to Teroto, you can pass it to someone running in. Under the tupu, all right, do you know how, in our story, um, the tupu was our rock, eh? Now, within this rock, there was, um, uh, well, we call it Te Wairua. Right, and what it did it was it helped sustain Rahi as he was on top of the rock. Now when the Tanifa are hitting that, alright, if you hit it ten times in a row, the game is called off just like that. Alright, you don't have to go through all the quarters or anything like that. If you, you hit it ten times in a row, then that's it. Do you hit it with your hand or with the ball? You hit it with the ball. Alright? Remember the Tanifa are not allowed inside that Pawero area? So the only way you can hit it is with the ball. And the ball is round. The ball is round. He's like, you don't have to have a round ball, you can have a rugby ball if you want. Just depends on um, how you like to play it. Alright, but today we're going to use a round ball. Yeah. Alright, the name of our little black little posts out there are called Po. Alright, what you have to do is, you have, if you've got the ball, you have to touch the Po, and that's how you collect one point. Alright, so if you go around, there's seven Po around the outside. Now, if you touch the Po, alright, you get, um, that's one point. So if you take touch all seven that's seven points now with that seven points collected that is when you run into the middle 
and score your try and you score seven points. Now you don't have to touch all of them. If you touch three, run into the middle, that's three points. Ah, so depending on how many times you touch those po on the end is is how many points you get when you come in and score it off the tipu. Yes. Alright, now that's enough talking. <laughs> I've got a bit of a sore tongue. <laughs> a bit of a sore tongue. Alright. So if you could introduce yourself. Oh, good Tautai. Jim Tautai Yahoo. North of Fanga or Maturi Yahoo. Okay, but. Um, I live in uh, Napier, um, he apia o te, te wharehere o te matau Maui. Jim, could you describe to me what's actually going on here at the moment? Right, uh, we're just setting up um, for the game of Kia Orahi. Now obviously there's, uh, the, uh, there's two parts of the game. That's the, the game itself and uh, there's the whakapapa to the game. Right. And uh, in order to, to understand the, how the game is played, you've got to... Uh, no, the fucker pop of it, obviously. <laughs> now the setup is uh, fairly straightforward. It's in a circular area. <coughs> Contained within that circle is uh, a number of out of bounds areas. Okay. okay. Which are being marked at the moment. As as we speak. And as you can see, uh, to one side we have an area which is also out of bounds, and that's known as a bridge. Uh, a bridge from the outer circle to the inner circle. Now, is that what those yellow poles are supposed that's, to signify? That's correct. That's correct. Um, contained within the uh, the middle circle is a tupu, and uh, there's a number of ways of scoring uh, points um, by either hitting the tupu, and that's a point against the uh, the opposing team. On the exterior of the uh, circular area, um, we have seven uh, po or po, and um, every time a team, or there's two teams obviously, but every time uh, one team uh, touches a, a po, that uh, is one point. Okay, obviously to score that one point, they must go into the middle area, and uh, when they they why cross, do they have to go into the middle area? Well, that's where the the point is then um, um, then passed on to their team. Okay, so in order to uh, to see how the game uh, fares out, um, it's just a watch and see from here. Okay, because the tipu looks a bit like a tackle bag. It is a tackle bag, actually, <laughs> but I don't think you, you would want to, to, to tackle it. But, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, obviously um, it's there for a reason, and um, the objective is to, to hit the, the tackle or the, the, the tupu with your ball in order to gain a point okay. for your side. Okay. Now, in your knowledge, can you remember playing any hakinaki na Māori when you were growing up? Uh, kaori. No, I, um, I don't think I... Uh, other than spinning the old top, uh, uh, I don't think there was any, any any time in my life, growing up in the uh, the far north in the, in the Bay of Islands, that I ever played the game. So, so Jim, what's motivated your interest in hakinaki na Māori? Well, there's two sides really. Um, my work, obviously, I work for the uh, Department of Corrections, and um, uh, they have an interest in making sure that we bring this uh, this sport into the into our environment. I work with young people, so. Um, as you know, with the young people, they have a lot of energy. And, uh, <laughs> this and, is one way of burning yeah, it off. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, that's our main goal is to make sure that uh, we can, um, you know, change the attitudes towards life and also uh, a way of getting rid of some of the energy, energy that these young people have. Um, the other side of it is a personal thing. Um, with myself, uh, obviously, um, it, it's an it's a old an old sport, uh, and it's uh, it's always good to know what our tupuna used to get up to mm. when they were young people, mm. and um, I'm finding it uh, quite exhilarating. <laughs> the game has started from the end of the udder, from the end of the bridge, where the team either can kick it in or throw it into one of their team members that's located around one of the circles. Now the Tanifa team, they sit on the first circle, that surrounds the tupu. And their purpose is to hit the tupu as many times as they can with the ball. Now the tupu is guarded by one of two members of Kioma. That's the other team. Now the Kioma purpose is to run around the edge where the po are located. Oh, this is in the outer circle and to hit them.
and depending on how many times they hit them is how many points they get. Now once you're tagged by a member of the other team, it's a bit like touch. You've got three seconds to put your ball out. Otherwise you lose it and it gets changed over to the other team. No, it's quite a um, fast-paced game. Basically, Ki Oma just run around with the ball, trying to score as many points as they can get from the Poe that are located on the outside that are the outer circle. You know, I've got to admit, it's a little... It's a little freaky seeing a game being played in a circle rather than in the, the square that we're all used to. But got to admit, it's actually quite neat to see. And you use a ball, one of those um, light bouncy balls, so it won't hurt when it's when it makes contact if you are standing in the middle guarding the tipu. Oh, and you can swap teams at any time or swap no you can swap roles at any time so somebody else has just swapped with the person who was playing <laughs> who was uh, guarding the tupu he's just swapped with somebody else so seeing this happen makes you realize this game could be played at any level <laughs> So while the actual Kiorahi field is sectioned off, you can basically run around as far as you like. It's just within the game, that's where you play the roles. And the Ki Oma side, they guard the tupu with their tenana. So the ball just bounces off them. If they're successful in deflecting the ball. <laughs> and the whole team's enjoying the game. Any level fitness could play this, any age. Because it's not like touch where the really fit players tend to congregate in the middle. This would cater for any amount of any amount of fitness really. Like you could stand by a pole, your team could just feed you the ball so you could um, so you could put the touch the ball to the pole. So, Dr. Ihirangi Heke, could you tell me what the difference is between hakinakina and sport? Well, for, for us and for the way that I've been teaching it is that uh, the, the cultural concepts and the whakapapa that run alongside them are equally important in terms of outcomes achieved alongside tinana. So, sport often has the, uh, an aim or a goal of achieving one team winning or of educating a group on how to play a sport or of using it for a physical activity benefit for a, an institute like a school. Whereas for hākinakina, the reasons that underpin Māori or non-Māori in, in contemporary terms being involved with it is that Tinana is only a part of the reason why. And uh, there's other areas of interest to us to being involved with that activity. So traditionally, Ihinangi, what would they have used as a ball? Uh, they used a, a number of different uh, natural resources, but the most common seems to be um, harakeke. And uh, speaking with uh, Harko Brown recently... Uh, He's the author of the book. Yeah, yes, and... Um, to be honest, you know, his uh, level of knowledge is, is extensive, you know. So uh, he's, he's impressive with what he knows. But I spoke to him about, you know, getting the, the ball into a round shape, the key into uh, you know, uh, something that can be thrown and, and roll, and the difficulties of having harakeke plaited or shaped or weaved into a ball I thought would be difficult. And he had a simple response was, make a square one, fill it up with um, whatever you've got to fill it out and wet it and it'll mm. shape to the round stuff inside mm. Mm. and uh, gee when it's said out loud it sounds easy but when <laughs> I was thinking well it's going to be a square ball but mm. uh, was, so there was no problems with that. You were saying you did a workshop with Harko Brown Yeah. now he's been responsible for introducing uh, na 
for reintroducing for reintroducing the Takaro Māori back up north, and he's also submitted a claim into the Waitangi Tribunal about the loss of Māori sports. So you've met him and done a workshop with him, and what did you go through? Well, what I went through was, oh, I suppose it's all part and parcel of it, but it was Manu Oti. He was teaching us how to make... Uh, Kites. Aye. Na Manu Oti. Aye, aye. Mm. And, and it was basically all of those things, Ngā Taonga Tuka Iho. And, of course, those things all incorporate, once you know the whakapapa or ki or rahi, like those fellas will tell you later, um, the Manu Oti was a big part of that. And so... Those things, I think, were traditionally flowing, you know, during the Matariki in particular, the festival time, and uh, played all those games into, into whānau, into hapu, into, into iwi and that. And, um, yeah, yeah, they'd have all of their uh, manu flying and, uh, you know, for a different kaupapa that they had going, some of uh, memory of the ones who had passed on, mm some to uh, just uh, you know state who who and where they were from and then um, you know the games would all be sort of centered around that and uh, yeah I just you know just hearing or being around Haku for that one day uh, wānanga just really made me quite you know uh, really hungry to to want to know more about this so this is the first opportunity I've had to learn ki so it's beautiful, it's beautiful and yeah I'm in the kura kaupapa at the moment and I can't wait to get back into the kura kaupapa and help sharing the stuff with the, with the kids there. Choice, kia ora Sean kia ora. Sean Thompson, one of the workshop participants at a Hākina Kina Māori, Māori sports workshop held in Napier a few months ago, facilitated by Dr Irangi Hike. I also spoke to Tane Edwards and Jim Tautahi, him mihi ki Dan Evans, nor spark me kwe hooki a Dr Irangi Hike. There are photos and additional information at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahikā, ko maraia rakuraku tōku ingoa, ko te hōtaka nei a te ahikā. The Pākehā partner of the late acclaimed film director Nasiapa Barry Barclay, Heather Randerson, continues to carry out his legacy of promoting film craft to the community he loved in Northland. Now, when I interviewed him a few years back, he was happily and passionately relaying to me his $30 maker film theory. Now, this involved approaching every organisation, be it the New Zealand Film Commission or the local council, and asking for $30, because according to Barry... That was affordable. And then you could add it to your poot there of your filmmaking fun and that way films wouldn't languish due to not having enough money to make them. They could get made straight away. At this very moment, people have gathered in the Hukianga for the Hukianga Film Festival, which kicked off in 2005, and part of its programme includes a tribute to Barclay, one of the founders who died in 2008. A documentary on Barclay directed by Graham Tuckett. Barry Barclay, The Camera on the Shore, premieres. How to celebrate Hokianga, its people and its stories, the festival has been hosted at Moria Marae in Firinaki. Heather Randerson is talking with Justine Murray about its purpose. The festival theme this year uh, is camera in community, and you want to emphasise on um, the, the digitalised aspect of that and how you can keep costs down to a minimum when it comes to producing um, um, films. Tell us more about, about that theme, camera in community. Yeah, well, once again, it's carrying through that focus on community. What's happened, of course, in the last sort of four or five years, maybe a little longer, is that since the digital explosion, it's put the camera really in the hands of, you know, we ordinary people who may not have thought of doing it before because of costs. But now, if you can get access to a camera, you know, it is... It's affordable. It's possible. So then we have a look at well, not just making films for you know with a a view to commercial Hollywood blockbusters. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How can this camera serve us as a community? So the focus is is a little bit different, and of course, particularly in telling our stories, but also in in preserving. 
um, you know, the kōrero of our people in, in our community who are rapidly moving on and being able to capture some of that kōrero and being able to archive it um, and maybe, you know, with uh, Fano and Hapu consent later on, they may agree to it going into some other documentary. But it's really, um, yeah, just looking at how, you know, we can use a camera. And not only that, but what it means when a camera comes into a community. Barry used to say there's no such thing as an innocent camera. He was mm. absolutely right. And so we have to be very, very mindful and respectful, obviously, when we introduce a camera into... You know, any situation, any situation, not just our community, but anywhere, but particularly when you're um, treading into inter intimate situations and um, capturing, you know, people's stories, which um, maybe they've not, you know, disclosed before. Yes. So it really has woken us all up to, and of course Barry was aware of this and became aware of this through the whole Tongas Whenua series and um, was passionately adamant about you know, the rest of us being uh, very, very careful as we tread, uh, you know, we tread into new areas. So there's, there's all of those kinds of elements. And what we're doing is on the Monday morning, we are having a um, community discussion around community filmmaking, which is a slightly different way of looking at things. What is community? What does that mean to, you know, the many and varied of us? Um, and how do we go about that? And if we are going to make film on that level, and for what, what purposes, um, how do we create a community archive so that our community might have access to that? Mm. And what does that mean? Who has access to it? How do we go about it? What are all the protocols that need to go in place? We're very fortunate that Script to Screen, Ngaho Fakari, and the New Zealand Film Archive have all agreed to uh, come up and support that. In fact, it was um, Simon Marla from Script to Screen who initiated that um, particular kaupapa uh, for us and to bring all those people up so that we will have access to this you know, depth of resource as we discuss, well, well, how do we go about this as a community and what does it mean? And I think it, it should really open up, and probably will, not should, but will, open up fresh ideas about gathering together and how do we use this camera to tell our stories and how can we do it communally? Mm. You know, it's a different base. Wow. Oh, so, yeah, I think... Fantastic. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the very... legacy lives on, you know? Sorry? The legacy, I mean, to me, what you've just seen is like you know, the legacy lives on in Barry, you know, with Barry's work. Very much so. Very much so. Yes. And, and that's, um, and, you know, we, we, we're happy to do that. And there's a great, there's a great sort of groundswell, I think, of people who, who, are, who are wanting to do that as well. So we've, we've strongly supported mm. um, both. We're a very tiny little team that have put the um, festival together, but we're very strongly supported by people within our own community and, and outside and the wider community, even right out to, you know, Hawaii and um, also the west coast of, of um, America and the Haida people and so on, um, who understood Bar where Barry was coming from and, um, and very much support what we're trying to do, you know, here. So, yeah, it's lovely to, to feel that and... Um, and it's, you know, everything's out there in the mix now and it'll just, I think it's going to be a wonderful weekend. Part of the the fest, film fe, Hukianga Film Festival is taking place at uh, Moria Marae in Whirinaki. Yes, the what? whole festival takes place at Moria Marae, which is one of the um, aspects that differentiates this particular festival from any other, that um, the entire festival, it starts with the Pōwhiri, on the Friday night at 5.30 and it'll go right through until the Monday with everything happening on the marae. And well, I mean, one of the reasons for that is this particular marae used to be used way back in the sort of 20s and 30s um, for showing films and we've had stories about um, them coming out of the hills. In fact, somebody at the last festival, um, one of the Komatua could remember coming down and, and not having a sixpence and so having to sit on the horse and watch through the windows <laughs> outside, you know. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, so there's a bit of a, a long thread there. Um, but it also, having it on the marae, it just brings in a completely different feeling. You know, there's yes. a different context. We really encourage, um, you know, our Komato and Kuya to be with us, spend a lot of time, you know, going and visiting them and, and putting them in the picture and inviting them to come in. We eat together, so there's lots of time for kōrero over cups of tea and 
beautiful food and all that sort of thing that's provided by the people from the community. So Heather, can we just um, talk talk a bit more about um, Barry Barclay in terms of the Hokianga community being such a, uh, you know, some people would view it as quite an isolated community, but a very tight knit group of people. What what um, affinity did he have with the Hokianga region? Well, Barry, Barry's work in the Hokianga goes back, you know, a long way. He did a documentary on Opo, uh, the dolphin, up there many years ago. He also did Autumn Fires up there, which was a story about um, uh, Fenonga of uh, Martin Sanderson, his auntie Olive. Um, so he'd been up there in the late 70s and early 80s. Mm. Uh, Barry came back to Hokianga and, uh, ca- and carried on you know, doing work and inspiring people up there as well. So this particular festival, we're recognising Barry and his work and, you know, his role in our community. And we're starting off the festival this time with the the documentary which has just been completed by Graham Tuckett called Barry Barclay, The Camera on the Shore. And we feel very privileged to um, be able to show that up there at this stage uh, and there'll be a lot of people coming, especially to see this. It's a wonderful piece of work, and it really, uh, I think it's a, it's a wonderful uh, credit, you know, to both the team that have made it, but also it's inspiring just hearing Barry talk about his work. It's a wonderful documentary, uh, which will go into the uh, New Zealand film festivals in Auckland and Wellington. But we're very privileged that um, because of Barry's relationship with, with us up there, um, they have allowed it to come back as, as really a koha to the community. We, I mean, we're, we're really privileged. We're going to have people like Mere Mere Penfold coming up. She's just had a... Oh, beautiful. Yes, she's just had a documentary finished on her by Shirley Horrocks. And uh, Shirley and her husband, Roger, are going to bring her up from Auckland. She'll be with us throughout the weekend. So, I mean, how special is that? We, it's just wonderful. It's and very special. Libby Hakaraya is also coming up. She's just finished a documentary on um, the people over at Titi. Um, and this documentary is called The Village, and it's about the young teenagers over there and how do they how do they live and, and what's it like living in a little wee um, coastal se- uh, settlement like Titi. So you can see what I mean. It's very... Um, and Mere Mere, of course, is from Te Hapua. So... Everything is very much either hokianga or northern orientated and celebrating these wonderful people who are inspiration to us. Heather Randerson with Justine Murray talking about the Hokianga Film Festival, which ends tomorrow. And for more information about the festival, head to radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. I'm Mariah Rakuraku. And I'm Justine Murray. Kia ora what's happening? It's your boy Awa Eita, the WA, representing Nisha Mystic. You're listening to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. From films to music, these guys have been together since their days at Western Springs College in Auckland, which has been the launching pad for quite a few musos, actually. I'm talking with Nisha Mystic, but there's a bit of trivia for you, Mariah. Here's a question. What was their original name? Not too sure on that one, Justine. How about onto Polynesian boys? No, sorry. The boys entered a school talent quest and were named, get this, the Tropical Penguins. Don't ask me why, but since those early days at high school to the young men they are, well, they've come a long way. <laughs> they sure have. Since their 2001 release, Polly's Saturated, the guys racked up four, yes, four top ten hits for its own Nation Styles, Brothers and Unity. In 2005, they released Freshman, and this year their third album, Elevator Music, and already they are eyeing up their album number four. And it's paying off with accolades, the most recent at last week's Pacific Awards, when Nation Mystic won Best Pacific Group and Best Pacific Urban Artist. Best Pacific Song for Nation 101 and Best Album for Elevator Music. What has Nisha, what has Nisha Mystic been up to thus far for 2009? Well, obviously we released our third album, Elevator Music, which has done so well. We're so happy with that. Um, we had Nisha 101 go number one, and I think Mr... Oh, we had Dancehall hit the top ten, as well as Mr. Mr. Um, and we've just released our fourth single, RSVP, which is actually just our favourite song off the album. So we don't really care where this one goes. It's just that we wanted to, we wanted to release it because we love the song. Um, and we're also preparing 
our next album, we want to do another one before the end of the year, um, which is really exciting for us uh, because we're out of contract um, and we're releasing independently, which is way better. And, um, really? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's real busy for us. Like, when it gets kind of, I guess, slower in NZ, it gets busier in Australia and Japan. So, it's um, yeah, we're pretty, pretty full on. Now, you know how we've heard some crazy stories about artists really wanting to leave their record label and this and that. Was it, were you in that type of environment by coming out of your contract? Uh, well, we had started quite young, you know. Yeah. We had come into the industry at 17, 18 and been working at a very high level within the industry for the past almost 10 years coming to it. Um, so we had learnt a lot and... Um, a lot of our boys have obviously gained a lot of experience. I mean, we have our own record label that we've released albums off and um, we work in the media. So we had a, I think we had a solid understanding of, of how things work. Um, and it was only a natural progression, really. So, um, yeah, things are, things are really good and it's all, it's all sweet. <laughs> hey, man, that sounds... Because, I mean, you're right, 17, 10 years on, you guys must be sort of, you know... Um, teaching on the on the thirties, <laughs> you know, you must be what twenty seven. We're twenty five, and oh, um, so we're still young. I think we're still the youngest in the game, to be honest. Um, but the experience we have and the track record we have um, in the industry is, I I don't think many can compare to, um, which I'm really proud of, to be honest, because we've worked really hard. You know, there's a lot of hours there that people don't see, and um, a lot of hard work that's not just writing the music but also setting stuff up um, uh, not only in Aotearoa but also overseas so um, it's good to see the boys getting the benefits too, you know, we're still not millionaires but um, we're living a little better Yeah, you're like the rest of us, still got to pay that power bull, eh? Hard <laughs> <laughs> um, So, our, I mean, you start off with Polysaturated, Freshman and now um, Elevator Music You guys have this very, I mean you can tell it's a Nisian sound, eh? When it, when it comes to your albums I think it's just us, you know, like that's the best way I can describe it. It's just Nisian. Um, we're not trying to be hip hop. We're not trying to be R and B. We're not trying to be um, pop music. We just we just want to write music that we like and that our families will like. Um, and that's pretty much it. If it's not fun, then you know it just doesn't make the album. Yes. Um, and that's as easy as that, really. So um, we're still having fun making music. Um, we generally go for writing retreats here at Tarawa Moana, just at the at the family house there, where we can make as much noise as we want and no one can call noise control. Um, or else we just <laughs> go to one of the other boys' places and um, we just spend time together and just write and just jam and, yep. and have a good time because that, that's what it's about. And um, you've got to love what you do or else there's no point in doing it. So, um, yeah. We're still, we're still loving it. So, I mean, you you touched on, uh, you know, going back to, to the roots, I suppose, going back home. Can we talk about your, your taha Māori um, awa and how that plays a part in your in your career? It's just who I am. I mean, you know you know how it is. It's, I don't try and be Māori. I just wake up and that's what I am. So I just be me, and it's as easy as that, really. So um, it's it's just natural. It's not... You know, it's not anything that we try and force. We don't try and give to charity to get profile or anything, or we don't try and make time for free gigs or community gigs. We just, it, if it happens, it happens. Māori people who want to get into music look at you and think, man, if I can do it, I can do it. So, I mean, that must oh, yeah, be kind of humbling, sure. you know. If, if, if they can, especially us. I mean, you know, half of our boys didn't even pass high school. So if we can do it, seriously, and I mean this literally, Anybody can do Anybody it. Can um, do it. You know, the only difference between us and someone else is that we gave it a go. Yeah. And we worked hard at doing it. You know, I'm not the best singer in Aotearoa or all the world, for that matter, but I just work hard at what I do, and I try and get better at it and try and develop my craft, and that's what the other boys do. Sweet. Hey, oh, I wanted to talk about, um, I mean, you are extensively, you've, you've got extensive tarmacal done, haven't you? I wouldn't say extensive, but... Well, I saw your back. There was an image of your back on your website, and I was like, wow. You know, so um, can you talk me through that process? Why did you decide to get Tamoko? Well, the first reason why I wanted Tamoko was because Nisian travel heaps, and I wanted my family on me, so in case anything happened, I'd still have them there on me. And so that was the reason for my first Tamoko, which was on my back. And secondly, 
the reason why I got it on my back is because I didn't really want that many people to see it. Mm. I mean, you could only see it if I was really wearing a singlet or no shirt, which I'm generally doing at home mm. um, or in Tarangamona on the beach. So that was the reason for that. And then um, my third piece was about the music, which was on the inner forearm. And that um, was talking about my journey as not only a musician, but also a person. And because I write my music with my right hand, it channels out of that arm. And then my third piece, which connected my forearm to my back, was my graduation uh, tāmoko, which linked all of it. Mm. It's three manu te ori ori. Um, and basically, my family blend with the music. And then there's one manu te ori ori that um, is... Uh, on my neck, and when I sing, all of that combines and comes out when I sing. So that's the that's the co-papa behind it. And I got it because I just felt like it was time. Yeah, it was and, time. Um, I, I had met a lot with the, the artist before I had got it. Uh, I think I met him, like, for a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Week yeah. after week, and that was Gordon Thoy. And um, he um, he basically said when it was okay. And so I just go off his call. Hey, Awa, can we talk about your... Um, now, did you grow up in... You're from Tauranga, Tauranga Moana? From, my, my dad's side is from Tauranga. But yes. I was born and bred in Auckland, but every weekend would pretty much be at the Marae or, you know, down on Kairua Road by Whapomo. So, um, yeah, it was good. Or either there or down my mum's side in uh, Putaradu. Yeah. In uh, Wotu and or at the Marae there, Pukitu. So, um, yeah, quite a well-rounded... <laughs> now the video, Mister Mister, was that um, your marae? And marae down there is called Tahu Fakatuki, otherwise known as Romai Nohorangi. Yeah. And um, it was just a really good experience. One to go down and and get some mean kai instead of getting catered for here and only getting <laughs> subway when we do a video clip. We got a smoke deal, and um, yep. the boys are like, "Oh my gosh, can we film all our videos down here?" Yeah. And um, it's always good to take our poly boys out of. You know, Auckland, because a lot of our Polynesians only either go to Wellington or Auckland. Mm. You know, anywhere in between is, I mean, I know there's a lot of Raros down in Fogoroa, uh, but, um, you know, that's about it. And we had um, the Sadao boys from South Auckland, you know, bring their families, and we all stayed at, at the Marae and had a, had a wonderful time. So choice. It was choice. And it was choice to get um, Shea Fu there on the clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Shea Fu, well, you know, he's a, he's a big hero for us, and he's also a very good friend of ours. And, um, we just wanted, we thought no one could sing it better than he did. Now, uh, it's New Zealand Music Month, as you probably know, um, Awa. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's May. No, it's in its eighth year. So what can more artists, um, particularly well, in Aotearoa, do to, to get out there, to get recognised, to, to cut a deal? Well, I think first and foremost, they have to understand that the industry is not what it was five years ago, ten years ago. It's completely changed, and there is no status quo. There is no standard. Most artists in Aotearoa are releasing independently, and you don't need a major record label to sign you anymore. Hey, that's so interesting, eh? As long as they understand that, they'll be okay. Secondly, I think just do it because you enjoy the music as opposed to wanting to be the superstar and wanting to be on TV um, enjoy the writing, enjoy the structure, enjoy the process of putting art together. And um, another thing is don't take things personally. I mean, when people come into the industry, a lot of people aren't used to getting criticism or getting people hate on them or anything like that. And, um, you know, Nisian is a testament to that. We didn't expect that, but we got it as soon as we came into the game. Um, but you just have to have faith in what you do. Uh, enjoy what you do and just hang around people that love you and will support you. It's in the record company's best interest to give you their feedback because they know how to sell music. They wouldn't have their job if they didn't know how to sell music. Yeah. So you have to take what they say with a grain of salt, but at the end of the day, you don't have to compromise who you are as a person or an artist. If you don't feel like you want to do it, just don't do it. It's that simple. I mean, I think Shea Fu said it to me that, you know, the best he goes, we all have natural instinct. There's no, there's a reason why we feel the way we do. If something doesn't feel good, then don't do it. If something feels good, then go with it. Mm. So um, it's just common sense. Go and, for that um, gut feeling. Yeah, be and just be patient. All you need is just dedication, um, good support people. You need a lawyer. You need a good lawyer. Yeah. And you need an accountant 
um, because once you start making money, and if you're on that PACE benefit, that performing arts uh, benefit, um, and you get lots of money, in that revenue is going to be giving you a call. So um, <laughs> make sure you have your business sorted. There's a reason why they call it music business. Because you graduated in business, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, you're clever. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. And, <laughs> and you were a finalist in the um, radio awards. Yeah. So you do bad, eh? your little... <laughs> man, and you're only 25. <laughs> so I mean I've got to explain um oh, that the the radio thing is you you host a youth series nationwide called Putake which is award winning continue <laughs> carry on sounds beautiful <laughs> So so you're still doing that gig Yeah 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 still doing Sweet. that and I mean you know I have an awesome crew um it's very small um the rest of my crew are, are all women so I'm kept in line every week um <laughs> basically I turn up to the studio and before they even say good morning all I hear is make me a coffee <laughs> so um it's um <laughs> it's really good and I get to talk to my you know my mates who are musicians and sports players and um and I get to interview them which is cool and get paid for it so I, I can't really complain and we play New Zealand music throughout the whole show every show so it's you know, we're supporting New Zealand Music Month every week as opposed to just in May. We've, mm. we've been doing it for years. And that's the thing, eh? Yeah. And, Choice. I mean, we've got enough good music to do that, you know. It's not like we're struggling to find it. So um, that's a challenge to our radio stations out there to put some more Indian music on there. One of the members of Nisha Mystic, Awanui Reader, nor Naitirangi, talking about their recent successes at the Pacifica Music Awards. And for more info about the guys, make sure to check out the links on our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Aneira a Kori Stickle with this week's Whakatauki. It may only be a small storm, yet a successful outcome is imminent. A little storm and then a rainbow appears. Worry over small difficulties is often found to be needless when a successful outcome follows. That's the show for another week. It's called Ructions Left, Right and Centre. Next week we'll be bringing you the Tehika coverage of the Super City debate and Hikoi that took place earlier this week. And I'm with Maisie Rika talking about her music. Kena kai kōrero katoa i tēnei wiki kia ihirangi heke rātou ko Sean Thompson, ko Jim Tautahi, ko Tane Edwards, ko Awanui Reader, ko Heather Anderson, ngā mihi. Hoki mai anō a tērā wiki e tēwi, mauri ora tātou katoa. katoa.